Uh, good morning, guys. How's everybody doing? All right, good. My name's Jeremy. I'm the missions pastor here at Antioch, um, and just excited to be with you today, excited to share God's word with you. It's good to see everyone in person. Uh, the last time I preached, I was staring at a camera for 45 minutes. That was not something that I enjoy doing. I much more rather uh, talk to people. But I'm not going to lie, um, just seeing all the masks, uh, that's unusual. It's, it's kind of intimidating. I feel like I'm about to have a medical procedure <laughs> or like y'all are ninjas and going to attack me or something. But uh, we'll get through it. I, what, what I would ask from you this morning is that you could pay attention with your eyes and maybe even, you know, interact with me a little bit. That'll help me uh, chill out a little bit and not have PTSD about ninjas. Um, if you're with us online, I don't know which camera I look at, but maybe that one. If you're with us online, good to be uh, with you. Man, we can't be together in person uh, in this time, but we're together in spirit. And I was just reminded, I was reading uh, in 1 Corinthians where Paul, the apostle, was writing a letter to a church, and he was talking about that. And he said, you know, man, I long to be with you in person, uh, but I'm not, but we are together in spirit. Uh, and we, we share in the Holy Spirit together. And so we get to be together, and God's gonna meet you right where you're at, even if you're in your pajamas, whatever you're doing uh, this morning, it's gonna be a good time. And then also I wanna just welcome all of our guests and know that in this time, and we've had uh, a lot of new people um, just coming to our church or maybe online, and we just want you to encounter Jesus today. That is our desire, that you would know that he loves you and that you're invited into his family that you're invited to the table. Uh, one last thing, we have kids in here. Let me hear the kids this morning. If you're a kid, that means you're under 13, I need you to shout right now. Okay, all right, we're super excited. Um, we'll we save the shouting for when the guy starts talking and gets into his main point right when he's about to then. No, I'm just kidding. Um, kids, hey, we're so excited to have you. I have four of my own in here, and we need your help, okay? I need your help this morning. Your mom and dad need your help this morning. Um, sometimes, you may not notice this, but sometimes when, you, when we're doing this deal and the guy's talking, that your mom and dad can get distracted. They get a little antsy. Uh, they start thinking about lunch or football, or checking their phone, or something like that. If you could help us out, Jaira, can you help Uncle Luke there, all right? Help us out by showing them how to pay attention. Can you do that? Can y'all do that? Can you do that? Be an example of paying attention? That would be awesome this morning. Okay, all right, y'all are the best. Well, this morning we're continuing our Advent series that Pastor Zach kicked off last week uh, called Prince of Peace. Uh, and in this series, we're doing what I believe is the best thing anyone could be doing during a global, pandemic, political, chaotic, divisive crisis uh, in the world. And that is to stop and to just meditate on the character of God. Not a whole lot of application there. Just stop, slow down, and meditate on the character of God with all the uncertainty, all the anxiety, all the confusion, all of the worry, all of the trial, all of the Christmas shopping, all of the things that are out there, right, that are facing us, the best thing 
that you can do is to just be still and know that he's God, right? And just meditate on him. So that's what we're gonna do this morning, and I'm really excited. I wanna share a couple of stories with you to kind of get it started. Uh, Ernest Hemingway, you hadn't heard that name since high school, probably, maybe college. Um, Ernest Hemingway, he wrote this short story called Capital of the World. Uh, and I read it a long time ago, and it just grabbed my attention. Uh, this story goes something like this. There's a, a young man named Paco. Everyone say Paco. Paco. Kind of like taco, but not. Paco. And Paco was estranged from his father. And he had left his home, and he had gone to Madrid, where he made some very foolish choices and just kind of made a, a wreck of his life. Uh, and then after a period of time, his father actually comes searching for him in this, this story from Ernest Hemingway. In a few days of frantic searching throughout Madrid, no success, the father decides that he's going to take out an ad in the paper. And so he takes out an ad in the local newspaper, and it was just a one-liner, and it said this, Paco, meet me at Hotel Montana, noon Tuesday. All is forgiven. Papa. And he puts that ad in the paper. And as the story reads, the next Tuesday, as the father was approaching Hotel Montana, hoping to see his son there, he sees this crowd of people. And he, he walks up and he's like, what, what, is all, what is all the commotion? And he notices that it's all young men. And they were all named Paco. And they had all come, 600 of them, standing around the hotel, all of the men named Paco, and they were there hoping to receive the love of their father. In 2003, there was an absolute masterpiece of cinematography directed by John Favreau, who directs The Mandalorian. Okay, maybe, maybe it's just me, all right, never mind. Uh, thank you, Donnie. Donnie, side note, this is, has not in my notes. Donnie and I started watching Star Wars, the same movies on the same night a couple of weeks ago, and we didn't know it. I, I, whatever, that, that's just, that's free for you. This masterpiece, okay, and the main character in, the, in, this, in this movie, um, whom we've all come to love and adore, his name was Buddy the Elf, okay? Buddy the Elf, and Buddy, who's, who knows this? Who's watched this, like, beautiful work of art called Elf? It's genius. He travels to New York in search of his father, in search of his father, realizing that he doesn't fit in in the North Pole and that his father lives in New York. And so he goes in search of his father. And, and the movie just unfolds cringing scene after cringing scene after cringing chaotic scene, Buddy trying to win his father's approval. He even sings a song for him. And my wife dared me to try and sing it for you. And so I said, I'll take that dare. <laughs> and he just comes up to his dad and he says, Dad, you're my dad and, and I love you, but you didn't know it. And I'm here to find you. 
and I really love you, and I love you, and it's Buddy. <laughs> that was awkward. I mean, it's just, it, the, the whole movie is just awkward, awkward, awkward. But here's the truth. Whether you realize it or not, we all, like Paco, or like Buddy, we all need and desire the attention and the love and the affection of a father. This generation is statistically the most fatherless generation in the history of the world. This generation that we are living in is statistically the most fatherless generation in the history of the world for many, many different reasons and causes. But there's an ache, there's a global ache, and it's worse than the pandemic. There is an ache, a deep, deep ache and a heart desire in everyone's heart for a father, a father that will provide for us, that will protect us, that will speak identity into us, that will courageously lead us in the right direction. You know, I know some of you in this room have deep wounds from a father that failed miserably. But even, you know, the best of fathers have failed to measure up to what we all desperately need. And we can feel, you know, left stranded, frustrated, disappointed, hurt, upset, insecure, broken, directionless, empty. You know, I, as a father myself, I have four kids, you know, doing the best I know how by God's grace. I realize I'm not enough for my kids. I don't have enough for them. I have weaknesses and limitations that will prevent me from being all that they need in their life. You know, we do this thing in our house, we call it the catechism of love. Uh, and, and I ask them this, this question. I say, Jaira or Elam or Brielle or Simeon, how much does daddy love you? And we go, this much? And everyone goes, no. And we go, this much? No. This much, right? Yes, okay. And, and Simeon, our youngest, he, he, he does this. He says, this much? No. This much? No. This much. He hadn't got the, you know, going out, we're just going up here, but that's okay. But, but we end it with this much. But then I always have to say, but who loves you most of all? God. Because even this much for me has a limit, you know, and is not going to meet the need of their heart. So it's our reality, it's my reality, it's your reality, whether you know it or not. But however, there's good news. Amen? There's good news. And it's why we celebrate Christmas, it's why we sing joy to the world, it's why we do these things, because Jesus, the Son of God, has come to reveal and to demonstrate the Father's love, the Father's heart for you and me. He's come to be a fatherly ruler, a fatherly leader, a fatherly king over God's kingdom, and he alone can give you 
in me what we desperately need. He alone can meet the need, the ache of this world. And one of the key verses that we've been kind of lasering in on during this Advent time is Isaiah 9-6. It's a popular Christmas verse. It's on the Christmas mug. It's on the Christmas ornament, probably a Christmas t-shirt. And I love it um, because it just points to this truth. And we're going to read it aloud together. And here's what I want you to do. I want you, we're, we're reading it aloud together because you're in this verse. You didn't know that but now you do, you're in the Bible, okay? You are in this verse and you need to read yourself into this verse. And so we're gonna read it together out loud because it's referring to everyone who's put their faith in Jesus the Messiah. The us in this verse is everyone who's put their faith in Jesus the Messiah. So we're, it's gonna be up on the screen, we're gonna read it together. Is it up on the screen? Okay, good. So out loud together. For to us... A child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What an incredible promise. What an incredible promise. Did you catch it? 700 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah prophesied about him that he would be everything that we needed that we didn't know that we needed. 700 years before he was born, he prophesied that he would be everything that we needed that we didn't know that we needed. Specifically, one of the phrases used to describe him is everlasting father. Everlasting father. Now, from the scriptures, we know that Jesus is distinctly and uniquely the Son of God. He's distinctly and uniquely the Son of God. He's one of the three persons of the Trinity, along with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. This verse, it's not suggesting that Jesus somehow takes the place or the role of the Father or kind of interchanges uh, with him. It's not saying that at all, but rather that he would come that there would be a man born of a woman that would be born to us that would demonstrate the love of the Father, that would demonstrate the goodness of the everlasting Father, that would demonstrate a fatherly leadership that would reveal God the Father to us. And Jesus has come. And this is awesome because we get to live on this other side of the story where we get we have the scriptures and we see that what Jesus has lived and what he has done, he has been among us. But this is why Jesus, he could proclaim this boldly. He said this, that he and the Father were one. That he and the Father were one. And also, he later said to Philip, one of his disciples, he said, he said Philip, Philip asked him, Lord, show us the Father. Jesus, show us the Father. I remember, I've read that verse in Isaiah 9, 6. That, that there would be the everlasting father. Show us the father. And Jesus said to him, have you been with me so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the father. One of the greatest pictures Jesus ever demonstrated of the father's heart uh, was in a story he shared with a crowd of people one day. Uh, and it's recorded in Luke chapter 15. 
And we're going to read it uh, this morning. This, this story, it may be familiar to some of you, but today we're going we're gonna to look at it with fresh eyes. We're going to look at it with fresh eyes and allow the goodness of the everlasting Father to wash over us. So if you have your Bible, turn to Luke 15, you can write that on your notes. And we're going to dive uh, right in after I get a drink of water. All right, Luke 15, starting in verse 1. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, that is to Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So gathered around him are two groups of people that could not be on the more opposite spectrum of of like the religious uh, spectrum here. And if you can't feel the tension in the air, I want you to start to feel the tension in the air. Tax collectors and sinners are drawing near to Jesus. Uh, sinners, what does that mean? <laughs> it's just kind of a blanket statement. It doesn't get into the details. Sinners were the, the, the people that got drunk, all right, that, that slept around, that steal, that lie, that murder, that take advantage of people, that don't go to church or whatever, Okay, and the tax collectors, they were considered worse than sinners. And everyone hated them because they intimidated people, they bullied people, they, they robbed people. Uh, they were like thugs, you know, like the mob boss on the corner that like owns the block, you know, that just racketeers everybody and just takes advantage of it. That was the tax collectors. So people did not like them. And they're on the front row. Okay, so, so they're on the front row drawing near to Jesus. And on the back row, standing in, in, in the back are the Pharisees. They're the ultra-religious. They're the scribes, the, the Bible scholars, right? The PhD in Old Testament in the law of Moses, okay? That is these guys, and they're all sitting in the back with their arms folded, and they're whispering, but the kind of whispering that you whisper loud enough for other people to hear. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, you're not really trying to tell a secret. You're trying to pretend like you're telling a secret, but you want everyone else to hear it. All right, that's what they're doing. Man, these people are sinners, man. I can't believe. What kind of, what kind of teacher would, would accept these people? And so that's, what's, that, that's the scene here. And Jesus sees all this, and, and he begins to share some stories. And we're going to skip to the third story. Um, that he shares that starts <clears throat> in verse 11. All right, y'all ready? Are we awake? We good? All right, good. All right, verse 11, it says, <coughs> excuse me, he said to them, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And after Jesus said that, the whole crowd would have gasped, okay? The whole crowd would have gasped. Okay, good. Because this was a total insult. I mean, this was the insult of insults for a son to ask his father for his inheritance before the father was dead communicates I don't care about you. I want your stuff. I don't want relationship with you. I don't care about you, dad. I don't want relationship with you. I just want your stuff. I wish you would die already. Give me my inheritance. 
Okay. The crazy part here is the father actually does it. The next verse, he says, and he divided the property between them. The father actually fulfills this request. So everyone's going, what in the, like, what is happening? Verse 13, not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had. So all the stuff that his dad had just given him, all of his inheritance, and took a journey into a far country. You find out a little bit later, it's probably called Las Vegas. But there he squandered his property in reckless living. Totally wasted everything. Reckless, wild living. Sinful living. And so at this point in the story, all the people that are in the front, the tax collectors and sinners, would begin to hang their head. And they would know, Because they could relate with this man because that had been their life. And the Pharisees in the back. All right, let's see where Jesus is going with this thing. Verse 14, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country and he began to be in need. So total poverty, nothing to eat, nowhere to live. He's covered in shame. He's totally humiliated. He's morally bankrupt now at this point. I mean, it's, it's rock bottom, but it gets worse. He goes below rock bottom because in verse 15, it says he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. He went and tried to get a job. And guess what that boss did? The boss said, hey man, why don't you go take care of the pigs? And the crowd would have gasped again. <sighs> because he's out feeding the pigs and he's longing to actually be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. So he is now below a pig. <laughs> They'll give the, the food to the pigs, but no one's giving him anything. So he's totally broken. And everyone's going, yuck. Now, this is absolutely rock bottom. It's below rock bottom for a Jewish boy. And this is the audience here because pigs were illegal business. Pigs were unclean animals. Um, and so he's practically like, like dealing drugs or something. I mean, he's like below rock bottom doing things he never thought he would ever do in a place he never thought he would ever be as far from home as he could possibly be. In verse 17, but he came to himself. He came to himself. It's kind of like he's like waking up from a bad dream. He's like, what in the, what is going on? And he said, as he remembers his father's house, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? The servants in my father's house are living a better life than me. And so he puts the, together this plan. He's gonna go back and he puts together a little bit of a speech. I will rise, I'll go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. <coughs> Excuse me. 
So he's definitely humbled, definitely broken. He's got this, this speech worked out, and he rose and he came to his father. All right, so now everybody's watching. Everybody's, what's gonna happen, okay? Like, I mean, this guy is as messed up. He's, he's in the worst possible place he could ever be, and he's coming back to his father. What is gonna happen? What, what I mean, what would you think is gonna happen? I mean, he's gonna have to pay for this stuff, right? Everyone's on the edge of their seat, and they knew that this, this guy, he's about to get what he deserves, but we're gonna read, um, where are we at? Verse 20, while he was still a long way off, as he's walking back, he's probably got very little clothes on, he's beaten up, head hanging low, malnourished, the whole thing. While he's a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and listen to this, felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Ran, embraced him and kissed him. What in the world? What in the, I mean, is this the picture, like when you Google everlasting father, is that the picture that you thought you were gonna see pulled up? Tim Phillips, in the back, wave your hand, okay? I, I, I won't make you do this, but, but I thought, you know, Tim could be like the everlasting, he could be like this father. I want you to imagine Tim running, 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 embracing, picking up someone and kissing them. This is the picture of the everlasting father. And I wanna tell you today that Jesus wants you to know that that is who he is. And that is the reality, is that compassion is running at you to embrace you and to kiss you. I can't believe it. This man, dignified, runs to his son. And the son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The father totally, he totally ignores his speech. He's like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Talks to his servants. He says to the servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, the ring, put it on his hand and shoes on his feet, bring the fattened calf, kill it, let us eat and celebrate for the son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now I wanna, I brought a few images here. I brought a robe. Okay, this isn't my best robe, it's my only robe, okay? And so, uh, Jaira, come up here, buddy. Excuse me, I got a cough. <coughs> I've had a cough, I was tested, I'm negative, I don't have COVID, don't freak out. Okay, good. So, he puts the robe on him. Now, what is the robe? The robe was to cover his shame. It's symbolic of the father protecting him and covering his shame. And I want you to know today that the father the everlasting father, when you've been in your broken place, when you've been far from him, when you've been separated from him, when you've been doing all the reckless living, whatever that means, and you come to him, he does this, he covers your shame. Because the father is one who covers people, not exposes people, okay? He covers your shame, all right? Now, Elam, come up here. 
Now, the next thing that he does is he puts a ring on his finger. Now, we have a ring here. Bling, bling, bling. This was, we got second place, no big deal, you know, in the baseball championship. Puts a ring on his finger. Now, show him that ring. Okay, there you go. The ring on his finger. Now, what it, the ring is symbolic of identity. It was a signet ring that said, you belong to this family. It was like a, honestly, like a credit card. You could go to the market and you could buy stuff and just go, boom, ring in the wax or in the stamp, whatever it is. It was a sign of identity. And so he restores his identity instantly. How much did this son do to get this all back? Nothing. He just showed up. He just showed up. He gets covered. He gets identity spoken into him. And with identity comes authority. You know that, right? Every identity that you have in Christ has a subsequent authority in Christ, all right? That's a whole nother sermon series. We'll do that another time. And it comes with an access, okay? Authority and access, identity, boom. All right, Brielle, you in here? Come on up, come on up, come on up. Hurry, 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 hurry. Or maybe not. Miles, you wanna do it? All right, you don't have to put these on, bud, but you can just hold them. And then he gives them shoes, all right? Shoes. What's the big deal about the shoes? Now, you may think like, oh, it was just new shoes, maybe it was barefoot. No, this was actually a symbolic act in that day. When a father was providing his inheritance to his children, they would have a ceremony. He would give them shoes, they would walk the property, and that would signify all of this is yours. He had just wasted his inheritance, and he comes back, and he gets provided a new inheritance. Now, I don't know what you thought you lost when you did what you did, but I'm here to tell you that the everlasting father can restore it like that, okay? He's the one who restores what the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Guys, thank you. Give him a hand. Y'all, you can just put that right back down there. The Father provides, protects, speaks identity into this son of his. Unbelievable. And they party begins. They carry him. I mean, he's literally being carried now like like the hero of the Super Bowl or the World Cup, you know, and he's going off on everyone's shoulders and they're partying and they're celebrating everyone now on the front row. All those sinners and tax collectors who could identify with the, with the younger son, they're going, oh my word. Some of them are crying. Tears of joy, tears of relief, tears of hope. Because is Jesus saying that God is this good? Absolutely, that's what he's saying. Verse 25, though, the story's not over. Now this older son, he was out in the field and he came and drew near to the house and he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants over and asked, what what does all this mean? I mean, this is probably the biggest party that has ever happened at his house, likely. 
What does all this mean? Verse 27, the servant said, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he received him back safe and sound. The older brother's angry, totally angry. It says that he was angry and he refused to go into the party. You're having the largest party that you've ever had at your house with the best food, with all the friends, with all the family, with all like the games, all of it. And you're angry and don't wanna go in. And that's where he's at. And so he's sitting out there and I would think, man, as a father, I'm just like, man, you're lost, bro. Like, let's just go keep partying. And the father realizes that his son's not there. And he goes out to get him. It says his father came out and entreated him. He comes out patiently to him. The father has compassion on him and goes to him. And he answered, Father, look, these many years, I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command. You never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with your friends. But this son of yours, I'm not even gonna call him my brother, who's devoured your property with prostitutes. I hate to break it to you. That's what was really going on. You killed the fattened calf for him. So the younger brother gets what the older brother felt like he deserved. And now the older brother is offended by the father's compassion, affection, acceptance. And so what does he do? Now it's his turn to insult the father. The reality is, is that dad, all I've ever wanted was your stuff. I just went about it in a different way than little Johnny. I've been slaving and I've been working and you haven't given me anything for me to celebrate with my friends. And he's totally offended. Outwardly, it's looked all good. But inwardly, he was as distant from the father as the younger son was when the younger son was with the pigs. He's not wanting relationship. He's not open to relationship. He just wanted the approval so that he could get the stuff. And listen to what the, the father, how he responds to him. He said to him, son, you're always with me. And all that is mine is yours. We're sharing it together. It was fitting to be glad and to celebrate for this brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. It was never really about the stuff, man. It was never really about the stuff or the inheritance. He's forgotten about it. He never mentions it. It's always been about relationship that I want with you. It's always been about the relationship with you. It's always been about the relationship with you, wanting you with me, and you're with me. And Jesus leaves the story hanging right there in the credits roll. You know, there's so many wonderful things that we could draw from, from this story about the Father. We did draw some of those things, but... What I believe the Holy Spirit is just saying for us today is he's highlighting this, that the everlasting father, Jesus coming as an everlasting father, 
shouts to us about God's desire for relationship. God's desire for relationship. Jesus being described as the everlasting father, it means that Christmas is about God's compassion and his affection, running, embracing, and kissing. I can't think of a more warm and affectionate image. And that's what Christmas is. Christmas is that verse where the father sees the son, runs, feels compassion, runs, embraces, and kisses him. That's Christmas. That's why we have Christmas, because that is who God is. That is who God is. And he will always be running because he's the everlasting father. And so that is your reality. That's my reality. If we will receive it today, this morning, God's compassion and affection running, embracing, and kissing you over and over and over and over and over and over for all eternity. So what do you do with this kind of incredible good news? I mean, what do you do with Christmas? <laughs> what, what do we do? What do we do? Well, the thing that we should do is we should receive it. Absolutely, right? Like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, receive. If he tries to hug me and kiss me, let him do that. Okay, receive it. But what does this mean for the younger brothers in the room, okay? Or, the, or maybe the older brothers in the room that feel distant from God. What does this mean? How do we receive the Father's affection? How do we receive his compassion? How do we receive it? And it's actually quite simple. There's only one thing required really to receive the father's compassion that he has for you. It's what both the younger brother and the older brother struggled with in the story. It's called humility. Jesus said it this way, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like a child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. John, one of his disciples, he said, he came to his own, speaking of Jesus, and his own people stiff-armed him. They did not receive him. But to all who do receive him, who believed in him, he gave the right to become children of God. Humility is the means by which we receive compassion and affection and love from God and from others. That sounds too simple. <laughs> that sounds too simple. Seriously, you cannot receive love from someone without humility. They can love you, but you cannot receive it without humility. Receiving love requires humility. You don't believe it. Try to receive love from someone with a prideful heart towards them. You can't do it. It's a wall. You cannot receive without humility. Receiving requires humility. So choose 
humility. Choose humility. And this picture that Jesus says, humble yourself like a child. Prayer and prophetic team was praying earlier. One of them just saw this picture of a kid with a skinned knee just running to the Father. And somewhere along the line, we start thinking that we can't run to God with skinned knees. And we just got to fix it ourselves. But God's saying this morning that if you got a skinned knee, <laughs> you got a skinned soul, you got a skinned heart today that you can run. And He's running to you. And if you're here today or you're watching online and you've never put your trust in Jesus, chose to, to give your life to him, or you want to begin to start a relationship with him, I want you to know that you can do that today. You can invite him into your life. And after the service, we'll have a prayer team here. We have a prayer team online. I want to invite you just to come and just share that with them. Hey, I don't even know what I'm supposed to say or what I'm supposed to do. You don't have to have a speech. <laughs> we that's established in the story, okay? Speeches don't matter. Just come. Just show up with humility, and God will meet you. So church, Christmas, it's about God's compassion, the compassion of the everlasting Father running to us, embracing us, kissing us over and over and over for all eternity. And so let's just be sons and daughters, amen? Let's just be sons and daughters that humble ourselves to receive the everlasting Father. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you've come. We thank you that you've come to save, you've come to redeem, you've come to heal. And God, we wanna humble ourselves to you right now. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would speak to each person in the room. What does it mean to humble themselves? Maybe it's choosing to forgive. Maybe it's a confession of sin. Maybe it's a confession of need. Holy Spirit, speak to us because we wanna be people that receive the everlasting Father, the compassion, your goodness. So come now and lead us, Lord. Run to us in this moment. Run to us, Lord. Let us feel you running to us in this moment. No matter where we've been or what we've done, we receive you, Lord, in Jesus' name.